Thanks so much, Dan. You know, in the 70s, the late, great Freddie Mercury and his epic rock band Queen reminded us, it's been no bed of roses, no pleasure cruise. I consider it a challenge before the whole human race, and I ain't gonna lose. Because we are the champions, my friends. We'll keep on fighting till the end. Of course, in the 80s, Corey Hart encouraged us to fight and to never surrender. And when Peter Gabriel said this, he said, I've got to walk out of here. I can't take anymore. Kate Bush responded to him, don't give up. You still have us. In the 90s, there was, well, there was no music, no good music in the 90s, but we did have NC State basketball coach Jim Valvano, who in his fight against cancer reminded us, don't give up, don't ever give up. And of course, in the 2000s, Sia reminded us, don't give up, I won't give up, don't give up, no, 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 I'm free to be the great We just sang a song about surrender. We just sang open hands. And yet it's pretty clear to me that like something in our culture is very resistant to this idea of surrender. We have resistance to anybody who would suggest that we surrender. No one really wants to be this guy. The Michigan fan who made famous, he's the poster child for this pose, which is now known as Surrender Cobra. In fact, if you're an Ohio State fan, you love this. Because of all the products you can now buy because of this Michigan fan reaction when Michigan lost to Michigan State. When all they needed to do was kneel down, but they faked a putt and it was blocked. And Michigan lost and there was the surrender cobra. Man, I miss sports. I would even be willing to be in a surrender pose, a surrender cobra pose, if we could have sports back. My name is Jeff Mickey. I'm on staff here at Orchard Hill Church. And I was asked to teach on the prayer of surrender. In fact... When Dave and Alice said, hey, maybe you could teach on the prayer of surrender, I looked at them and I said, sure, I can do that. The first thing I want to say to you about surrender is this. Surrender does not mean lose. Surrender is not the same thing as lose. It doesn't mean you fail. It's not quitting, not in the way that we typically think it is. To surrender actually means to yield to some influence or emotion or a course of action. Surrender is to relinquish our hold on something, to let go of something. And sometimes we surrender because we need help. In fact, Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, I was driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. So he surrendered out of his need for help. Sometimes we surrender for the greater good. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, on on the night that he was arrested, the night he was betrayed, he surrendered to his father in prayer. He says this, he says, Father, in the midst of these beads of sweat and blood and tears all mixed together, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus prayed a prayer of surrender, and his prayer did not end with amen. Far from giving up, Jesus actually yielded his will to his Father's will, and he took the next step. He stepped to the cross. Your will be done 
Jesus taught his disciples to pray the exact same thing. In fact, he says, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, I yield to your authority and to your power in my life, in our world. Lord, let your will be done. The world is broken. I am broken, and I am so tired of trying so hard over and over again to put my life back together and failing over and over again. But I've heard or I've seen that Jesus is like pushing back the power of sin and the forces of dark darkness. And he's, and he's renewing this world. He's making all things beautiful and new and whole again. God, I want that. So I yield to your will in my life, to your perfect will, because your plan is better than mine. So let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in my life and in my lifetime, just as it is in heaven. You know, we don't have to pray this out of desperation. Jesus actually taught we could pray this as a way of getting to know our Father in heaven better, growing closer to God. But I want you to notice something about this prayer. That this idea of surrender, this idea of your kingdom come, your will be done, comes near the beginning of the prayer. It's at the beginning of our life with God, not at the end. Have you ever prayed this? You ever prayed the prayer of surrender? Lord, I yield my plans, my desires, my grief, my anxiety, my pain, all of my uncertainty and fear. God, I give it to you. You know, God, the bills are starting to pile up right now. And, and I, I, the way I handle my finances or this scarcity mindset that I have, God, it's just, it's killing me right now. Or my depression, my anxiety, God, it's so dark today. It's just overwhelming me. Or maybe temptations, God. These temptations are just too great. I cave into them every single time. Or maybe it's, you know, my need to control things. It's driving me crazy and driving everybody around me crazy, God. Will you take these things from me? I don't know what to do, but you do. Your will be done, not, not mine. Have you ever surrendered? It's not easy to do. Because the prayer doesn't end with amen. Dave Bartlett was here last week and he taught us uh, about praying for courage. And Maybe this is one of those things we need to actually ask God for courage for. God, you give me courage to help me surrender to you. It's interesting because God, uh, Dave shared a bunch of his prayers with us that he would pray for his kids when they were young or that he has prayed for Jeremy, his son, when his son was diagnosed with cancer or prayers for himself. And these are all in some way, shape or form prayers of surrender. I remember Dave teaching about surrender years ago, and he was talking about how he would be at George With having some time with God, and he'd walk to the end of the dock, and he'd, he'd realize he was holding on to some anxiety or some fear or, or anger or something, and, and so he'd have these clenched fists, and just as we sang, he'd start opening his fists, physically trying to represent what he was doing spiritually, which was to surrender these things to God, to give them to God, and then when he'd finish, he'd say amen, and he'd walk back to his car but before he'd get to his car, he'd realize that he still was holding on to these things. He had just tried to surrender. So he'd walk back out and say, God, I give you this anger or this jealousy or this sadness or whatever it is. Will you take it? It's not easy to surrender because the prayer doesn't end with amen. I've had my own journey with prayer. I remember fondly when my dad would come in at night and kneel down by my bed and pray with me when I was a small child. I remember my mom praying the rosary. I remember learning mostly memorized prayers when I was young. We would pray the Lord's Prayer or 
Hail Mary or the act of contrition, or I remember praying uh, this one before I go to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Kind of a morbid prayer, really. <laughs> In high school, though, I, I met some young life leaders, and, and the way they would pray, they would just have conversations with God and, and talk about what seemed like whatever was on their mind. Sometimes they'd talk about me to God, and it was, it was pretty amazing. Sometimes they'd invite us to pray with them. And I remember praying as a group at a camp. I was working at a Young Life camp out in New York. And we circled up and were praying for each other. And they asked us to hold hands. And in the middle of the prayer, Gator, who's on my left, is holding my hand. And, and he just starts squeezing it tighter and tighter. And he just starts rocking back and forth in the middle of this prayer. And I thought, wow, he must be thinking he's going to start levitating. And so he's holding on really tight so he doesn't fly away. And he finished praying, and he, and he let go, and my hand was just numb, just crushed and just full of sweat. He was just drenched in sweat, but it was like, man, he had some kind of experience. I wanted that experience. It's like, what was I missing? What was I doing wrong in prayer? Years later, actually a few years ago, I started buying a bunch of books on prayer and trying to read everything I could about prayer, and, and I learned a lot. They were great. But I still don't levitate, and that's okay. I've realized it's not anything that I'm doing wrong. In fact, I learned a lot about prayer, and one of the main things I learned is that prayer is mysterious. How it works, what it accomplishes, under what circumstances, it almost seems random sometimes. I have no idea how it works. I just know that prayer is an incredible gift from God, and I believe that the prayer of surrender is an especially gracious gift from God. Because when we open it, our trust in God, it just starts to, to really grow. When we surrender to God, we aren't giving up. We aren't losing. We're actually inviting God to bring his presence and his power right into our lives to overcome the, the fear or the worry or the trust, uh, to help our trust in him grow. But there's one caution. The prayer of surrender doesn't end with amen. It's a call to courageous action. Surrender is the beginning of our life with God. I want to share one story with you this morning from the Old Testament that kind of illustrates this point that I'm talking about. And as we go, I'm going to offer you a couple of uh, applications that I hope will help you. I hope it doesn't interrupt the story too much. Um, I'd encourage you to check out the story yourselves. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm going to paraphrase uh, quite a bit of the story and then, and then share some of the uh, crucial verses with you. But the king sat straight up in his bed. The silence of his slumber was pierced by the desperate voices of grown men pounding on the door just outside of his room. Get up! They're coming! There's way too many! They're going to destroy us! Get up! He knew this day was coming. Ever since he'd made that choice and allowed that leader to talk him into doing something that he really knew he shouldn't do. In fact, he talked to his friend who he trusted, knew God, and, and spoke God's truth and that friend had told him, don't do it, but he went ahead and did it anyway with this leader. And that other leader died. And the king had barely made it out alive with his own life. He'd made a lot of enemies that day. The sound of those voices started to fade away with their footsteps. And then the voice of another man that the king recognized appeared. 
king walked to his window and he looked down below. This, he could see all the people entering into the city streets, wondering what was going on. And he asked his general, who was outside his door now, to step in. How bad is it? He asked his general. He replied, it's not good. In fact, a vast army is coming against you, king, from Edom. And it's not just the Edomites, but the armies of Ammon and the armies of Moab have joined them. This army is huge. It's like nothing we've ever seen before. And they've already marched halfway across Judah. In fact, they are just 20 miles now from our city in Engedi. What would you like us to do, my lord? It was worse than the king had imagined. In fact, the king was alarmed. So alarmed, Josephat resolved at that moment to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. He told his general, there's only one thing to do. We're going to pray. Go tell all the people to get ready. We're going to pray for our country. I took a few liberties in imagining how the first parts of this story sort of unfolded in the situation that might have what it might have looked like. But one thing I didn't mess with was this. Before Jehoshaphat announces that they're going to pray as a country, he experiences something. He experiences something deep inside himself. Before he prays a single word, Jehoshaphat is alarmed. He's scared. He's anxious. Maybe he was disturbed that his sin had brought upon such a troubling situation. No doubt he was alarmed at the massive army that was marching towards him. And he was anxious at not knowing what to do next. And his awareness of what he was feeling led him to one conclusion. There's only one thing we can do. We've got to talk to God about this. We've got to pray. This is what I want you to note about this. That if we'll pay attention... Our feelings can be a rich resource, an effective tool to help us pray powerful prayers. They can be powerful prayers of thanksgiving and praise when things are going really well inside of us, or powerful prayers of surrender when things aren't going so well. Jehoshaphat is a king, and he has control over lots of things, and he has this God-given responsibility. But before he calls people together, the king is alarmed. And he's scared. You know, most people don't get scared about things that fall within their control. Things that they can do something about. It's when crazy stuff happens that's outside of our control that we get alarmed. And Christian psychologist Henry Cloud tells us when things like this happen, when things like global pandemics, an economic crisis Circumstances in our own home start to form these vast armies that surround us and start to threaten us and cause us to worry and to fear. He says we need to do, we need to do something. We need to pay attention to these feelings and we need to make a couple of lists. On one list we make the list of things that are within our control. But the other list is things that we can't control. In other words, count your worries, he says. Name your fears. Before we can surrender to God, we have to name the stuff that's out of our control and that's threatening us. You know, some of my friends are, are, are making these lists right now. My grandma died. 
and we don't get a chance to have a funeral for her and celebrate her the way that we should and the way that would bring us closure. Or my son or daughter is graduating from college and they can't find a job right now. Or I just wanted to play baseball or run track one more season and that's been taken from me. Or my daughter is due in a week and we're not going to be able to be there with her and for her to be able to hold our grandchild. Make that list. Spend some time with that list. Grieve, cry, be sad, be angry, shout, yell. Take 10 minutes and allow those motions to to be felt. And then hand them to God and say, God, will you bring your kingdom? May your will be done in these matters on earth as it is in heaven. And then when these things start to try to break into your day later in the day, just remind them, you know, I've already dealt with you. I'm done with you. And if you need to, we can talk again tomorrow. But right now, you're in God's hands. Back to the story of Jehoshaphat. After his alarm, he called the people together to pray. And and within hours, it seems like, of the king's call, the people are streaming into the city, just flooding the city from every town in the country. Many coming to pray and coming to fast. Many more probably coming just seeking the security and the protection of the walls of the city. Everyone probably hoping that the plan, or that the king had some sort of plan to offer them protection or, or to rout their enemies. And so they meet in the courtyard temple and King Jehoshaphat stands up in front of them and he begins to pray. And I encourage you to read this prayer. It's just four verses long and verses 6 through 9, chapter 20 of Second Chronicles. But he begins the prayer with praise. Praise for a God for who he is and for what he's already done. And a God who's always in control of everything. He says, God, you rule over all kingdoms and nations. Power and might are in your hand. And then the king just starts naming off his blessings. He said, God, you gave this land to your descendants, the descendants of Abraham, your friend, and to us as an inheritance. And, and it's become this sanctuary for your name, and, it's, and you've built this home for us. And you promised to hear our prayers, and especially not just hear our prayers, but in our hour of need that you would come and you would rescue us and you would save us. Jehoshaphat had counted his worries, and now he counts his blessings as he stands before the nation. And he appeals to the promises of God. What makes your list of blessings from God? Which promises of God are you most thankful for? After counting his his blessings and praising God, King Jehoshaphat turns his attention to the crisis at hand. And he starts to share this list of worries that he'd made up with God. He says, God, there are the armies of Ammon and, and, Mount, and Moab and Mount Seir are coming to drive us out of this land that you gave us. And, you know, when you moved us in here, you told us not to mess with those people, just to leave them alone. And we did as you asked, but now they're, they're gathered together and they're threatening us. God, what will you do about this? Will you please do something? And then the prayer of surrender, for, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. I need you to know this. The people of Israel weren't strangers to war. 
They, they, they were used to fighting. In fact, their warriors were fierce men who didn't know the word surrender. And they believed wholeheartedly that God had given them this land and there was no way they were going to surrender to this enemy. The prayer of surrender offered by Jehoshaphat wasn't to these enemies. Instead, Jehoshaphat and all his people acknowledge their limitations and surrender to God. God, we don't have the power to win this fight, and we have no idea what to do, but you do. Will you have mercy on us? Will you lead us? We trust you. You Sometimes a prayer of surrender is prayed because There's simply no other way out. There are no other options. And it's here, in this humility before God, that King Jehoshaphat and his people find their strength. I can't help but think of how similar our situation is today, how how we are collectively under this, experiencing this same trial together, and how we have this collective need to pray as a nation or as a world and to humble ourselves before God. And it might sound something like this, Lord, we don't have the power to defeat this coronavirus. I mean, we're trying stuff, and we're going to keep trying stuff, but we really don't know what to do. Wear masks, don't wear masks, open, reopen, don't reopen. You know, we're social distancing, we're sheltering in place, and these things tend to slow the disease, it seems like, but it doesn't stop it, and it actually creates other problems as people lose their jobs and important life celebrations are canceled and depression and discouragement ramp up. God, there's never been more people praying, I don't believe. In fact, there's people praying who don't believe in you, people praying for the very first time, and many times we don't know what to pray or how to pray. We are powerless. We don't know what to do. But you do. So will you please do something? Our eyes are on you. Amen. That ought to cover it. Feel good? Well, it depends. Back in our story, the king's prayer of surrender doesn't end with amen. Remember, he's just prayed and and, and he finishes and, and the men and their wives and the And their children and their little ones are all standing there waiting, waiting to hear something back from God. And then we read this, that the Spirit of of the Lord came upon a young man, a worship leader by the name of Jehazael. And he stands up and he says this, he says, listen, listen, King Jehoshaphat, listen, all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, here is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. He goes on. This is not your battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And then the king and everybody bowed down, and then someone yells, praise the Lord, and stands up. The king's prayer didn't end with amen. The people waited, and they listened together. And the Spirit of God comes upon this one young man, and he says, don't be afraid, 
Don't be discouraged. Stand firm. Be strong and courageous. God is with us. And you know how the people could tell that this was the Lord speaking to and through Jahaziel? They couldn't. How could they? I mean, his words were consistent with things that God had spoken to them before over and over to his people. So they had reason to believe that what he was saying could be from God. But there was only one way to be sure. They would have to take the next step. There's only one way this story gets written. That's if they trust God's word. And they do what he asks them to do. There's only one way to build trust. And that's taking the next step, whatever it might be. So the next morning they get up. And Jehoshaphat reminds them of God's promise to be with them. He says, have faith in God and, and his promises and we will be successful. And they head out. And their marching out is part of their prayer of surrender. Nothing had changed about their circumstances. They're still surrounded by a huge army. They're still powerless against it on their own. And it's clear that they still have no idea what to do because the king moves these worship leaders, these young men, to the front of the line and says, just start singing something. And so they're out there singing, give thanks to the Lord our God and king. His love endures forever. And I can just imagine the enemy seeing this scene unfold thinking, are you kidding me? What in the... This is awesome. This is going to be done in time for us to go get ice cream and watch the last dance tonight, right? I mean, it's incredible. But then the enemy was wrong because God shows up and it's a rout. And here's what we take away. The power in the prayer of surrender comes when we listen and respond to God in faith. It's when we take that next step out of trust that we meet God. Like Dave said last week, the powerful prayers are not powerful because of our words. Powerful prayers are powerful because of what God does. The prayer of surrender isn't about losing or giving up or quitting. It doesn't end with amen. The people had to be brave. And there's only one thing that can make us brave like that. That's trust in God. And there's only one way to build that trust. We have to surrender and take the next step, whatever it might be. So what do you need to surrender to God? What do you need to yield to his influence? What step might God be asking you to take to trust him? And what, what area of your life is he asking you to trust him? I want to encourage you this week to do a few things. I want you to, to pay attention to your emotions and your feelings and, and count those worries, fears, and grief and make your list and spend some time and let yourself be emotional with these things and, and be sad or be angry and, and shout, whatever it looks like. And then count your blessings and think about the promises of God and give thanks and praise to God for those blessings and for his promises. And then take your list of worries and ask God if he won't help you, if he won't show you a next step to take. And then wait and listen. 
And as God speaks with you, respond. And you know, singing might just help. To continue to sing those songs of praise might help you be brave as you remember who God is and what he's already done for you. We're going to go into a time of communion right now. And this is another thing that that God did for us to help us be brave. Jesus actually gave us this, this, this celebration that can remind us not only the sacrifice he made and declaring it is finished, that we are free, that he is with us, that not only was he with us then, but he is with us right now, just as he has always promised. He is with us till the end of the age. And he did it by simply taking simple elements of, of the Passover supper, just the, the, the food and the, and the drink that was on the table. And in fact, he took the bread off the table, remember, on the night that he would be arrested. And he, and he took that bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take this and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. Remember my sacrifice and remember that I am still with you today. And when supper was ended, he took the cup and he gave thanks to his father. And again, he gave the cup to his disciples and he said, take this and drink this. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So that now you can be in a relationship with my Father and, and you are with him. And he is with you at all times. Take this and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, at the end of that dinner, Mark in his gospel reports that they sang a hymn together. Makes me wonder what they, what they sang. I wonder how much it encouraged Jesus as he went out to pray in the garden. Reminds me of King Jehoshaphat and his people going out to meet their armies, singing these songs to help them be brave. As you take communion and listen to this song or sing along with this song, may the presence of Jesus and may these words help make you brave to be able to surrender whatever it is you need to surrender to God. As we head into this time together, will you please pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that your promise is just as true today, that, Lord, you are fighting our battles with us and for us. God, may this give us the courage to surrender to you whatever is getting in our way of trusting you. And will you make us brave that we might take that next step so that we might meet you and know you more and trust you more and experience more of the life you promised to us. God, we are powerless. We don't know what to do, but you do. And you are the God who is in control of everything. So we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.